What is up, everyone? I hope you're having a wonderful 2023. Inside the War Room is, of course, here, ready to go. A lot of shows this year to put out. Two things you can do to support us. One, give a five-star rating wherever you listen to this podcast. A like, a thumbs up, subscribe, whatever that looks like on your platform. We would greatly appreciate it. Two, if you want to support the show, you can do that by going to warroommedia.com. That keeps the ads off. That keeps us rolling. It covers our cost. We would really, really appreciate that. Warroommedia.com. John Paul, welcome to the War Room. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, so the new book is America and Justice, My Battle to Expose the Truth. And in 2022, it seems the truth is hard to discern and even harder to expose. So how has the book been received so far? Uh, I think pretty good. Um, I think it's at 4.5 stars. Uh, There was an individual that received a copy of the book that had an oily substance on the cover. uh, So he left me a two star. Um, (laughs) I wish I could help him out with that. I'm customer service oriented and driven. So it's, it's, uh, I just don't know how Amazon's going to deal with that though. (laughs) Yeah, it it is interesting. You'll see, you know, low reviews for books and it's not about the book. It's about the packaging or the shipping or delivery. And it's like, it's it's, it's a tough way to figure out how to, how to, uh, how to how to navigate all that? Okay, so give us the backstory here. Um, I mean, I mean, most people are probably familiar with the story, but for those who aren't, kind of walk us through what happened. Well, in the book, um, the book actually starts off the night that I get a phone call from Hunter's lawyer asking for the laptop back, and this was October thirteenth, twenty twenty. So the day before, the night before, the uh, New York Post ran the story. Um, then it, it goes back and it covers a chronological story from the time Hunter drops off the laptop with me for a data recovery, uh, made multiple attempts to get that laptop out of my shop and have him come and return it. And he never did. Uh, when it became my property, I wanted to alert the FBI to the criminality that I had witnessed on the laptop. I wanted to do that not only for national security, but for home, my own self-preservation, because uh, a lot of stuff I saw on that laptop was very embarrassing. And I'm pretty sure that any powerful family would want to keep it quiet. Uh, when the FBI reluctantly and eventually seized and took possession of the laptop, uh, they never did anything with it. Uh, we went through the entire impeachment hearings and trial without that laptop ever making a, an appearance uh, for the White House's defense. Because what I had seen on that laptop definitely merited a phone call to Zelensky from Trump. So uh, that whistleblower was, you know, he, he still gets to remain anonymous. I don't, I guess, but. Uh, and then the story broke uh, when when I gave the laptop, a copy of the laptop to uh, a president, uh, the lawyer for the president of the United States, Rudy Giuliani. And uh, then they leaked it to the post or gave it to the post. And uh, the rest is history. I, I ended up getting death threats. I lost my business. I had to actually flee the state for a better part of a year uh, just because it was just too scary. Okay, so let's get the timeline uh, reestablished in. So... You get the laptop approximately when? Uh, April 12th, 2019 is when Hunter came into my shop requesting the data recovery. And was that his first ever time in your shop? Or was he regular? Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, and so you turn it over to Giuliani, or the FBI when? When you turn it to to the FBI? So my father reached out to the FBI in October of 2019. I was a little reluctant to do so on the East Coast because I feared good old boy politics and and 
I live about 10 miles from Biden's house. So the last thing I wanted to do was expose my existence, what I was trying to do. Right. Uh, I, I have a business to protect and a, and a livelihood to protect. So um, I, I, I and use my father who's a retired colonel in the Air Force to take a copy of the laptop and the paperwork to the FBI field office in New Mexico. Uh, their reaction was get out of our office and don't talk about this. So we were a little bit upset that the FBI, I mean, my father's 31 year career colonel in the Air Force, and he had given those years to the defense of this country. Mm-hmm. And he's never asked anything in return, except for the government to give his son some level of protection. And the, the FBI failed to do that. So uh, about a month later, the FBI reached out to my father uh, in an effort to get a hold of me. About mid-November, FBI agents came to my home. Uh, I once again, tried to give them the laptop and tried to present them with material that I thought was pertinent to the impeachment hearings. Uh, again, they ignored uh, the material and they were reluctant to do anything other than talk to their legal team about the laptop. Uh, then on December 9th, 2019, two FBI agents came to my shop with a subpoena. I don't think they were uh, expecting somebody to be so overjoyed at the receipt of a s- subpoena. So, uh, uh, in, in my excitement, on the way out the door, after giving them everything and signing all the documents, uh, I told one of the agents that, uh, don't worry, lads, I'll leave your name out of the book when I write it. That's when uh, Agent Mike turned around and told me that in his experience, nothing ever happens to people that don't talk about these things. Uh, in hindsight, yeah, I, I, I probably <laughs> he was probably right that nothing would happen to me if I didn't talk about these things. But I wasn't going to risk that, not for my country and not for my safety. Okay. And then, so what date did you get to Giuliani on? Pardon? What, what date did you get to, to uh, Giuliani? So um, when, when the laptop never materialized at the impeachment hearings or trial, I knew that we needed to get, bring this to the attention of Congress. I enlisted once again, my father, a retired colonel, and my uncle, also a retired colonel, to uh, reach out to members of Congress, the White House, anybody that would listen to alert them to the existence of the laptop and the existence of the FBI's uh, reluctance to touch it. Unfortunately, this was also during the height of the pandemic, uh, also coming off of three, four years of Russia collusion and the Mueller investigation. And um, I think that we were dealing with a preoccupied and paranoid Congress. And uh, so our cries for help fell on deaf ears. Uh, Finally, in August of 2020, I had had enough and I knew that this something had to happen. So I directly approached uh, Rudy Giuliani through the website, uh, uh, Giuliani Securities uh, Inc., I think, or Incorporated. And then I uh, received a response from uh, Rudy's lawyer, Bob Costello, the next day. And uh, after about a day of back and forth, I overnighted a copy of the drive to uh, Bob Costello on August 28th, 2020. Okay, so about 10 months from the time... You gave it to the FBI, you give it to Trump's team, but about right. Okay. And so how do you know that the FBI is not doing anything? So how do you know that the FBI is not um, casting this big net and trying to actually take down Hunter Biden? Well, I didn't. I, I, I was hoping that they would act on the criminality. I mean, and last I checked, we should live in a country where a citizen can approach law enforcement without fear of retribution or retaliation. Uh Again, when I when that laptop failed to be entered as evidence in the impeachment trial, that was definitely a red flag. When the FBI agent told me that if Hunter or somebody representing Hunter should come looking for the laptop, 
that I was to stall them. I was to make up a story of how it's offsite and an offsite location and that to give me 24 to 48 hours. I'm immediately to text Agent Mike and say, hey, I need the laptop back and they would deliver the laptop. So if this was evidence in, in any form of investigation, I would imagine that it wouldn't be easily returned to the prior owner at a, just a text message. So there, there's multiple red flags during my entire interaction with the FBI. The fact that I think, I think that when the October 14th story happened and 51 intelligence experts all came out claiming that this was Russian disinformation, I'm thinking to myself, the FBI's had this laptop for almost a year. How come they're allowing this narrative of Russian disinformation to proliferate still? And then as the days and weeks progressed, and I realized that this was a narrative that the FBI was actually pushing on social media. Zuckerberg was testifying in front of Congress on, I think, the 28th of October of 2020, and clearly said that he, as well as Google and YouTube, were both approached by the FBI and warned of a massive dump of foreign intelligence before the election. So the FBI was not only in possession, but they were, they were proliferating this Russian narrative. And uh, so I, I definitely I definitely want to see some accountability come from the FBI. I'll tell you that. OK, so let's go back to that comment you made. So if you, you said that um, the FBI instructed you, if Hunter Biden reaches out, tell him that the, the, the laptop is off site. But what was going to happen then? Because you were supposed to text them. Were they what was, what was going to happen at that point? Well, all, all Agent Mike told me was that he'd return the laptop and he would handle it. Okay, so he he did say that he would return the laptop to Hunter Biden. Okay, okay, yeah. And, and so, with that kind of set, let's go back. How long have you been in the computer repair, whatever the right term is, your business? Well, uh, professionally, about twenty five years. Okay, and through that time. Um, how often have you seen things similar on a similar scale that you saw on Hunter Biden's laptop? Well, it's an occupational hazard to, uh, especially when performing data recovery or restoration of a client's data, you're going to see some personal things. You want to verify the data that you're working on and that you're copying. So you're going to have to look at it and it's, it happens. You're going to see some homemade stuff and some you know, questionable things. Uh, I think in my 25 years of business, I have never seen the amount or the quantity that was on Hunter's laptop. Um, but again, I didn't go to the FBI because of some crackhead sex addict with a gun. I, I went to the FBI because there was a major concern of national security and, and for the most part, my self-preservation. So how do you get to the point to where, again, from ignorance, I just turned my Mac in the other day because the keyboard was uh, sticky and had to fix it. So when you're doing this data restoration, um, is it that you, you see one or two things you're like, I need to dig in. Like, how do you get to the point going? I actually need to look into what's on the hard drive versus maybe a high level comparison to make sure that you've recovered what you're hoping to recover. Well, good point. The, in a perfect world, if the machine was healthy and this was just a, a data recovery from a healthy Mac with a healthy drive, uh, I would never look at the data. I would set up an automated process that would do a block for block or a forensic clone, if you will, of the drive. And when it's done, it would tell me if it succeeded in copying every single one and zero or if it failed. That was not the case. And trust me, if 
I kind of wish it was. Uh, this laptop was liquid damaged. It had severe power issues. Um, I could use it for maybe an hour or so before it would shut down. And then I would have to charge it up, let it sit for a minute, then fire it back up and then continue that process. So this was not something that I could just click, click, clone. I had to manually, no different than dragging and dropping files onto a flash drive. I had to manually drag and drop folders, starting with the desktop, then the documents, then the movies, then the pictures until I recovered all of it. And this process requires you to have two windows open that show you the destinations capacity and the file count and then the sources capacity and file count. But when you are copying data and the machine shuts down mid process, you kind of have to manually go back, see what file was transferred last, verify that it did fully transfer. Um, there's, there's often kind of shortcuts you can do in this where you can look at video files because if there is any corruption or if a file is tourniqueted, it won't play or it'll play back with distortion or, or pops in audio. So often in the industry, we use uh, large media files as a measurement to see if the data is coming over cleanly. And unfortunately, the large media files on Hunter's laptop were his homemade porn collection. So that's what I kind of saw first when I was verifying the data as I was manually recovering it. There were a couple of documents that kind of stuck out, stuck out as well uh, during the verification process. So a lot of money exchanging hands. But again, this, this was all happening about maybe less, a little less than two weeks before Joe announced his candidacy. So in my mind, I thought initially I was just recovering Hunter's deceased brother's data off of his laptops because one of the laptops had a Bo Biden sticker. It wasn't the next day that I realized that this was Hunter's personal equipment. But it's still, it was like, oh, it's just some, you know, son of a politician. It's not, I didn't, the fear of the repercussions or the fact that Joe might have somebody on his staff or the Secret Service that would be reining in all this technology the fear that Hunter's in possession of a document that clearly said that I was allowed and given permission to recover data from his electronic devices. I, I just figured it was a matter of time before somebody saw that document and then came looking for the laptop and looking to make sure I didn't talk about it. You, you said laptops. How many laptops were there? You know, he came in with three liquid damage laptops. Three. Uh, one, yep. One was a complete write-off. There was just no way it was going to power on. Um, it's the type of Mac where the drive soldered to the logic board. So if the power can't get to the logic board, there's no way you can recover the data. Uh, the other one just had some inoperable keys. So I gave Hunter a keyboard so he could facilitate, facilitate his own backup. Uh, Cause again, at this time I thought I was recovering data from his deceased brother's laptops. Cause that's often the case. A customer will come in with a deceased family member's devices and want to get their memories off of it. So, and, and Hunter was, he was uh, in an intoxicated condition. I figured he was, you know, his brother had been dead for a year and a half, maybe two years. So I figured he was still in mourning, especially this is tough. He's trying to get these memories off these laptops. It wasn't until the next day that I realized that now these weren't Bo Biden's computers. These were Hunter's. And did you recognize Hunter when he walked in the door? I'm, I'm guessing, did you, did he look familiar to you or how did you realize? Cause you know, um, every son of a vice president wouldn't always be known by people. So um, how did you know who Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden was? Well, I, I didn't. Um, I'm visually impaired. Uh, I have a, I can see clearly enough to move around between four and eight feet. Uh, and then clearly to see detail about four to 10 inches, depending on the day. So when a customer comes in my shop, I, I really don't know who they are until I hear them speak. 
or they tell me who they are. So, and this was no different. I never really paid attention to Joe Biden and his offspring. So I never really cared to know what Hunter looked like. Um, so when I was doing the check-in process, I asked for his first name. He said Hunter. And then I asked for his last name and he kind of looked at me like I had two heads and sarcastically responded Biden. So it's, uh, he seemed more upset that, uh, I didn't recognize him instantly than, than I probably should have. Yeah. Okay. So one of the accusations has been that the laptop was stolen uh, and given to you, uh, either dropped off at the, either given to you, you know, uh, secretly, like someone said, Hey, take this laptop and expose it. Or, uh, you know, someone pretending to be Hunter Biden came into your store and dropped it off knowing that you would find the stuff. What would you say to that? Well, there's a lot of creative people out there. Um, and if there's a writer shortage, I can definitely put them in contact with a publisher. Um, Hunter knew the laptop wasn't stolen, but he still went on CBS and NBC saying that it could be Russians. It could be stolen. Um, his lawyer called, asked for it back. Um, I, I just don't, I don't see, like, I, I, I believe it's actually Hunter's lawyer that's pushing the narrative that I think Roger Stone gave me the laptop and this was all kind of hatched uh, in an effort to, to, uh, to bring down Joe Biden. And it's not. And I wish people would understand that I'm not a political person. Like I saw criminality. I felt fear for my safety and also the safety of the nation. So I brought that material to the authorities. If it was Don Jr. that came into my shop, I would have handled it the same exact way. And I wish people would understand that, that instead of making up a narrative or trying to support a narrative that makes it look like I had some seedy motivation, I had self-preservation and a love of my country. And that's why I did what I did. Throughout this process, um, did you ever feel like, um, you know, there, there was people trying to, like, once the story started to break or uh, as you went through this, people were trying to funnel, funnel you information so that you could turn it over against the Bidens? No, I, the only people I talked to during this whole effort up until the point where I went to Rudy Giuliani's website was the FBI and my family. Uh, I wanted desperately to remain off the radar on this. Uh, I, I love my business. I love my, I had my shop for 10 years. I love my place in my community. Uh, I was respected and I really liked living in this area and I did not want any of that to go away. And I, I now realize that for the truth to get out, I had to trade my fear for courage and I knew the risks and I, I went along with them. That's the only influence that I had was uh, was my own motivation. So you've mentioned the FBI is who you've spoken with. Um, and it sounds as if you've been disappointed with your interactions with the FBI. Um, was there ever a moment in this process where you thought the FBI was taking this serious? Uh, you know, when, when they kicked my dad out of their office in Albuquerque, but then a month later, they reached out to my father and agent Joshua reached out to, to my father to get a hold of me. Mm. There was a glimmer of hope. Um, it, it was tough because again, there was three years of Russia, 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 and, and the Mueller investigation. There was Roger Stone's house was raided by the CNN and the FBI that prior January. I knew that the FBI it felt like the FBI was weaponized. I didn't know it, but I also knew that the FBI was the right course of action. This is their purpose. They, 
This is the investigation or the branch that needs to do the investigation on this criminality. And when you stop believing in a system, the system's guaranteed to fail. So I believed in the system, but I didn't trust it. And that's why I made a copy of the drive. And did anyone from the FBI, like off the record, reach out and said, hey, you know, listen, I'd like to push this, but we're being held down. Was there any kind of back channeling to you uh, from someone inside the FBI letting you know that they were frustrated with how things were going? No, I think that whoever took my interaction with the FBI and then locked it away and labeled it Russian disinformation did a pretty good job of that. And I think that's why now nearly two years later, we're seeing whistleblowers come out from within the FBI to acknowledge what I felt for the past couple of years, that the FBI is incredibly weaponized and, and has a political bias. And I think that we're going to see more and more good agents come out of the woodwork to, to reveal this. And that's how it gets fixed. I, I'm just a naive repair guy, but I honestly feel that sometimes you have to watch something fail before you can fix it properly. If we don't fix the Department of Justice and we don't fix the FBI, then how can we get justice for all the other criminality that's going on when, when they're going to be protecting their allies? So we need to, we need to start with this. And I'm, I'm delighted with the fact that there's honest agents at the, at the Bureau that are, that are coming out and, and speaking to this because it gives me hope. And it tells me that I did make the right choice by going to the FBI. We just needed to reveal this corruption for action to take place. Did you ever think about taking it to local authorities? So after the FBI is not doing anything, was there ever a thought of take it to the you know, sheriff, police, whomever is in, in your area? You know, I, I went, I gave it to my father to give to the FBI in Albuquerque because of my fear of this part of the area. Um, this, this part of Delaware, especially in, in southeastern PA, is, is incredibly Biden loyal. Um, I think we saw that when uh, I think Rudy Giuliani took the copy of the drive, gave it to the Delaware State Police, who then turned around and gave it to the district attorney that hadn't done anything with it yet. So it's kind of I, I feel that if I had approached local law enforcement um, and I didn't speak to exactly the right person, then I would have been exposed. Um, now, in a twist of fate, it was actually the Wilmington Police Department that really stood up uh, during all of this. Because when I started to get death threats, um, I had to fill out a terroristic threat report. And I guess Wilmington Police volunteered to sit out in front of my shop. So they kept taking turns. And I pretty much had a, a, a Wilmington trooper parked in front of my store for the, the remainder of the weeks that I was open. And I cannot begin to thank the Wilmington Police Department. I probably should have given them a copy of the drive. But again, I, I did not know. And it felt like because of the national security implications that the FBI was the right course of action. Okay. We know from the outside, at least, um, you know, pictures of you know, drug use, prostitutes. Um, those were, were all on the drive. But you've mentioned that there's far worse things on the drive. Give us a flavor of some of the things that we should be concerned about as citizens that was on the drive. Well, first, there's the fact that I'm probably I was probably not the first person to have a copy of this this laptop. Um, Hunter had been working very closely with a Chinese energy company that had placed a honeypot uh, to work with him that was 
professional and personal uh, relationship. Um, and she started funneling Hunter uh, opposition research on the Trump campaign. She also was trying back in 2018, trying to convince Hunter to convince his dad to run. And when you start to see how tangled this web with the CEFC was and who was involved, it, it, a, she probably, this Jackie boy, this, this personal assistant slash spy, probably has a copy of the laptop, probably has Hunter. Uh, I know for a fact she told him to hold on to something like $5 million because CEFC was going bankrupt and they don't know about it. So, you know, we'll just put that off to the side. This, this is the kind of, this is the kind of intel that governments will leverage other leaders for. This is the kind of uh, compromising situations that uh, evil countries will manipulate and get their hooks into the children or the offspring of these powerful people to bend their will. And I wouldn't be surprised considering the fact that, well, we're back in a conflict or we're watching a conflict in Ukraine again, where billions are being poured into it. And a lot of the same players are involved. Last time Joe was involved in Ukraine, making billions of dollars. And we also have our adversaries in China that we're working with now the president of the United States, son. And I just, I don't think I'm the only person with a copy of the laptop. I'm pretty sure our adversaries have a copy of that as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're using it to leverage uh, decision-making coming out of the White House. But if you've exposed the laptop, how can they leverage it? Well, this is just one laptop. I think Hunter had since 2012 owned something like 20 something digital devices. This is just one laptop and we don't know what's on the others. So one of the questions I've had around this this scandal in general and how to think about it, and this goes back to the Trump impeachment. Um, you know, when Trump was being impeached the first time about calling Ukraine, you know, I kind of laughed and said, okay, guys, let, let's be serious here for half a second. This is how it works at the big level. It might not be where Trump would call directly. He might work through the State Department or whatever, but this is how things work. Um, so we think about the, the Bidens. Um, are they actually doing anything different than what the top politicians are doing, or did they just get caught? Uh, get caught with what? Well, I'm saying if you were to get, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi or Ted Cruz or um, I don't, I don't think Ted's got adult children, but you know, whoever, uh, famous politician with adult children. If you were to get their laptops, would you find the same sort of things that you found on the Bidens or are the Bidens just that unique? You know, I, I don't know. I, I have a funny feeling that the Biden family is an example of what happens when powerful elites take control of this country or take positions of power. And then to mask their culpability, they use their offspring. I, I think um, in China, the term is uh, princelings. Uh, when the, you don't, you don't approach the individual, you approach their children, you kind of doll them up and you give them stuff and in an effort to get a hold. So it, it's, sounds like Chinese business practices being executed over here. And I, I doubt the Biden family is the only family doing it. I'm pretty sure over the past half a century, uh, when, when people decided that a career in politics was like the family profession, I think that that was an indicator that there's probably some nepotism going on. There's probably some, uh, uh, side dealing, you know, it's, it's, 
it's probably runs rampant in powerful people that don't like to let go of power. Yeah, I think my concern with whether it's the the Trump narrative or the Biden narrative is that we pretend as if these are isolated incidents. Um, now, we don't have laptops from all the family members of Congress or, or whatever, so it's hard to know. But but I suspect that it's that what we're seeing with Hunter Biden is probably closer to the norm um, than the outlier. And so with that being said, it, it, when you stop to think about these these stories, how do you hold these politicians accountable? You know, how do you push for reformation and change? Um, perhaps with the realization that this is our political elites and how they operate um, as a whole would be, would be better for society rather than thinking that it's just, it's just a one-off event or two-off event. Because um, if you said, well, the majority of politicians are corrupt at some level, um, then how could they ever be the ones to fix the system? Does that make sense? Yeah. Would you agree? No, I, th- I think it all comes down to accountability. I think that for generations in this country, these political families have been able to get away with their activities because nobody's held them accountable. Or when they, they try, they brush it, they, they use the power that they have to squash it. And because nobody's held them accountable, they continue to get away with it. And then they think that they can get away with it again and again. And I think that, that it starts with accountability. And like, I'm not going to let this go. I lost my business. I lost my place in the community. I lost a lot. And when you have everything taken away from you, except for your pride and your integrity and your courage, those are great resources to have when you want to go into battle to hold these people accountable. And that's why I'm not letting this go. And I just, if I'm one person that stands up and, and tries to get justice out of this, then maybe somebody else will feel empowered to blow a whistle or to raise an alarm. Um, So I think that if I don't quit, if I can, the left has done everything they can to make an example out of me. They punish me with my lawsuit against Twitter by financially ruining me. I get audited by the IRS for 57 bucks from five years ago. I get uh, my unemployment. I have to write a letter to my governor to get that released. It's just this constant battle, but I'm not giving up. And eventually I think that if more people see that, if I can be an example and not be made an example, uh, then, then maybe we'll have change. Or at least maybe these politicians will be like, eh, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> I don't want to have another citizen come up and challenge and my, my motivation and my activities. Uh, so maybe they won't do these things. Maybe they won't enlist their children to, to be the breadwinners. Maybe, uh, maybe it'll start to be for the people by the people again and not for their family to their family. What was the lowest moment of this process for you? Uh, I mean, losing, losing a lot of friends um, and, and even some family was, uh, was, was pretty tough because that's, you know, that's uh, that no matter how hard I try to tell my story and try to get the truth out, there's some people that I'll never be able to convince and they'll just always look at me in a completely different light than they used to. And that's unfortunate because I had some really good relationships with people. What is it about some of these issues, the the Biden laptop, um, particularly I think about COVID as well. I I remember when the story broke, I was um, um, touring the country before the election and 
I asked a friend of mine who works at a uh, a paper, I won't say which one, but one of the major papers, what he thought about it. And he said, well, haven't heard much, but the New York Post, they're not credible. So who knows? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, okay. Um, and I was like, mm, you know, listen, if you don't start with the presupposition that these people would do this kind of stuff, then, then you're crazy. That's kind of my take on it. Um, yeah. The, the Biden laptop. Sure. Sure. It's quite possible. Like that's, that's, that's a no brainer, whether it's true or not, it's a separate issue, but possible. Sure. Um, but now in 2022, it seems that even CBS and the mainstream media is acknowledging that there is some truth to the story, right? There, there is some truth to the story, despite the 50 or 60, whatever it was, agencies that denounced it early on. Has that changed people who were really hard against you early on to say, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe we were a little bit too quick to jump the gun here. Well, I haven't received any apologies yet. Um, I probably won't. Nobody, nobody wants to admit when they're wrong. Nobody wants to admit that they backed the wrong horse or they made a judgment call that was vicious and cruel that was based on lies. Uh, I, I, I'm not looking, I'm not asking for an apology. I'm not looking for forgiveness in the eyes of people for what the evil things are colluding with a foreign power. Uh, I, I want to get the truth out. I wrote my book to get the truth out because my story was twisted and turned into Russian disinformation. And I was prevented from having the truth proliferate. Instead, their narrative uh, was, was the narrative that stuck. I, I just, it's nice to see him change. It begs the question, like, why is, is it because they're fearful of a Congress that's going to hold them accountable on January 3rd, or are they just displeased with Biden and they want him out? It's, it's kind of hard to tell their motives, why, especially two years later, especially CBS would come out and forensically verify that the laptop's real and I'm not a Russian. Um, still don't expect to get an apology from that, but, um, yeah, I, I just think, uh, I, I, I'm, I've been battling to get this truth out and I'm, and I'm not going to quit. And yeah. uh, the book's just a part of that. Me coming on shows to, to try to convince people that I'm not a Russian spy is the other part of that. Yeah. One of the things that, that I bring up on this show from time to time is the frustration with the media. And it goes from narrative to narrative and it just, it never connects why the narrative shifted or changed or, maybe what was wrong or why this is different. And so, you know, what I've seen recently about this topic is, well, we don't care if it's Hunter Biden's laptop. It's like, okay, well, that's, that's fine. Then that should have been the argument that was made back then is, okay, it's Hunter Biden's laptop. We just don't care. That's fine. That's a fine argument to make, whether you think it's right or not, you can make that argument. The, the problem is, is that what I've seen now is it wasn't his laptop. It was Russian disinformation. Now we don't care. It's like, well, hmm. if we're saying we don't care, that okay. But, but why do we not do we not care about any politicians and what their actions are? Um, and, and what what this does, it seems, is it breeds a base of uh, conspiracy theorists. And I don't like using that term negatively. Um, I'm saying, but it, it, it is factually when the media goes from we can't trust this, we can't trust this, we can't trust this to oh yeah, we got that wrong, but who cares? It's like, well, hmm you do start to ask questions about why does the media handle it that way? And if they're so stupid, they can't realize that then they shouldn't be in those positions. Um, but th to me, that's the frustration with these stories is 
is that it, it breeds people to not trust the media by the way they handle it. Um, and so you, you sit here and you have these conversations and you go, well, hmm, it sounds like if what you're saying is true, um, that this all could have been handled a lot better. And then you go, well, why didn't they? Of course, we don't know why. We can speculate. And then that speculation leads to the erosion of this trust that everyone says we should have in our institutions. I wonder what that was like from your perspective going through this process. Um, did you lose faith in the media, the FBI, politicals, whoever? Yeah, I can I can say that I did. Um, you got to remember, I, I did. The night that Hunter's lawyer called me asking for a laptop, he knew where I was. He knew where the location of the shop was. I didn't go home that night. I was scared. So I got in an Uber and went to a friend's house and crashed on the couch. I never went to sleep. I was hitting refresh on the New York Post and about 6.30 in the morning, New York Post ran the story. By about nine o'clock in the morning, the internet had shut it down and mainstream media was pushing this Russian narrative. And the first thing that popped in my head was like, how can how can they execute this so fast unless they were prepared? And that's, I think, as, as we saw about a couple of weeks later, when uh, Zuckerberg and Dorsey were dragged before Congress to testify about uh, Section 230 immunity. Uh, and that's when Zuckerberg admitted that the FBI had approached. So it all started to make sense to me because I watched it happen in real time that the FBI had the laptop. They were monitoring Rudy Giuliani's emails. They saw that I overnighted the drive on August 28th. They went into action to let their social and mainstream media outlets be on the lookout for a massive dump of Russian disinformation so that when it did happen, they were all prepared. They were all ready. Uh, that's not journalism. When a mainstream media colludes with an alphabet agency to either promote or suppress a legitimate story, that's no longer journalism. That's state-run media. Uh, so for everybody that's got a fear of us inching our way towards socialism, I watched it happen. I watched our government influence mainstream media to repress a story and replace that story with a lie. And that, that can't, not in this country, we can't live like that. Okay. So what would you say then? Let's say for argument's sake that it was a Russian plant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and the FBI suspected that, and they know the New York Post is about to drop the story. What, if anything, should the FBI do? Uh, do a little homework. I mean, if, if if they thought that I was involved in any capacity with a uh, a plan, uh, no, 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 no. I, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying like it, it, this in, in a hypothetical. So the argument, what you're saying is, it's not. It's clear you weren't. They knew that, and they they tried to suppress it. I get you. I'm saying if it was, if, if the FBI had used whatever, some other example, they knew the Russians had got something to the Wall Street Journal and it was um, completely fabricated, completely faked. What responsibility, if any, should the FBI have to suppress or to deal with that story? Well, I think that close to an election, I think the best thing to do would be to show an offer of complete transparency. Um, if the FBI wants to demonstrate that they're not politically biased, then they should release any, any information that would have or has the potential to affect a national election should be made relevant uh, to the citizens. And I think, uh, I think Christopher Ray said it 
that he's tired of the FBI affecting the outcome of elections. And I think that was in reference to the the deci- decision not to allow the, the Clinton emails to be dove into or something like that. So I think that transparency is the only way to gain trust. And it, it's something that they would have to do. And I, and they, they did the opposite of transparency. They made up a story and they blocked it. Okay. The book again is American Injustice, mm-hmm. My Battle to Expose the Truth. What's next for you? Well, um, I have been working with members of Congress for the past four or five months to make sure that they have all the resources and materials they need to to hold people accountable. Um, I see two fronts, obviously, uh, address the criminality in, on the laptop and to seek justice for that, but also to hold the FBI and the Department of Justice accountable so we can get a fair shot at justice. Because again, if we don't, if we don't crack down on on the FBI and, and our, our way to investigate, then we'll never have a clear view of justice. Justice won't be balanced in this country. Okay. We will link to the book in the show notes, which is at warroommedia.com. Where else would you like us to send people to? Well, I'm trying desperately not to have people find me. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> have a website. I don't have, I'm on some social media things, but basically just to troll people and to, uh, to uh, promote the book, but, um, and to show my support. And I, I just, I just wanted to let everybody that's watching this who has supported me. I wanted them to know that I would not have been able to get this far without their support. Cause I'm not built for this, this I'm an introvert and kind of like helping people one at a time and not on a national level. Uh, but the, the strength that I have received from the prayers and from the support of at least half the country that knows that I'm not a Russian spy, that I did the right thing. Uh, that I'm trying to be an example. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to them because I'm I'm still here and I'm still fighting. Okay. Well, best of luck on the book and we'll be following along to see what happens next. Awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. Hey, you made it to the end of this episode. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to ask a favor. If you enjoyed it, would you drop a five star somewhere? And if you really enjoyed it, would you consider becoming a subscribing member over at warroommedia.com helps keep the show going and ad-free. Thank you so much. Ever wonder if the deep state murdered President Kennedy? If Hillary Clinton is kidnapping babies? If the COVID-19 virus is part of a plot to turn your country into an evil dictatorship? Or if Tom Cruise is a shape-shifting alien reptile? Hi, my name is Michel Jacques Gagné. I'm a Canadian author, teacher, philosophical historian, and recovering conspiracist. I'm also the creator and host of the Paranoid Planet podcast, a monthly variety show that combines fun conversations, long-form interviews, thoughtful essays, film and book reviews, and a little bit of silliness on the subject of, well, you guessed it, conspiracy theories. So if you want to learn more about conspiracism, if you want to become a better critical thinker, or if you just enjoy listening to interesting conversations in an entertaining format, check out the Paranoid Planet podcast at www.paranoidplanet.ca. That's www.paranoidplanet.ca. Or anywhere you download your favorite podcasts. Until then, make sure you keep the blinds closed avoid talking to strangers, and, just to be safe, avoid drinking the water out of the tap. 
you'll thank us for it later. But don't take my word for it. Ask this guy. What do you think tap water is? It's a gay bomb, baby. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? Ugh, ugh, I'm serious crap. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny.